Yell at your crotch. And just yell at my dick. Scolding your dick. <laughs> that's usually that's usually how like stuff goes for me uh, sexually is I have to count have to look at my dick and scream three, two, one. <laughs> well that's where your name comes from, is that it means dick sin. So you're you're scolding it uh, for for its crimes against God, uh, because your dick, much like Gerard Butler in this movie, <laughs> is anti God. Oh boy. I um fucking I let me tell you Tell me. I'll let you it's, tell it's, me. It's been a minute, and I've forgotten how to speak uh, about <laughs> movies. Um, so I I was really in and out of this movie. There mm. were moments where I was glued to the screen and moments where I felt perfectly comfortable mm-hmm. um, getting up and grabbing um, a complete cookie um, from, <laughs> from my pantry and just being like, it'll sort itself out. <laughs> But let me tell you, when uh, they ha- when Gerard Butler bites on uh, Justine Waddell, Justine Waddell, um, and is like, "Let me show you something." I've <laughs> sorry, trying to approximate Gerard Butler's accent is a really tough thing to. It's been several months. You just months need two I'm... voices, and one is quieter, and that's the accent. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a region. It's just how many people are talking. <laughs> it's the, yeah. It's the Transylvania region of Scotland. Um, <laughs> sorry, man. Just like taking months off of recording a podcast and then starting off by trying to do whatever the hell Gerard Butler is doing in <laughs> Dracula 2000 was just like really upping the difficulty level unnecessarily. <clears throat> but when when he bites Mary. And shows her through 2000s flashbacks that he was Judas Iscariot, and that's why he's Dracula. I was like, my eyes haven't been glued to the screen that hard since the bear scene in Annihilation. I was like fucking riveted. Oh, yeah. I think, is it a twist? No, but I love it. (laughs) Is it, did it have to be this way? No, it could have been absolutely anything else, and I'm so blessed that this is the way it turned out. <laughs> I uh, I w- could not pay attention in the beginning. I was like, this is so confusing, and there's way too many people, and I don't understand who matters here. <laughs> um, but when our boy woke up, I was like, I love this so much. Yeah. I'm an Underworld fan, so this is like Underworld's... like. Uh, um, ragged cousin. <laughs> yeah, so like, like when pasty twinks have sort of dark <laughs> veins drawn onto them, oh, that's like I when you really live for that shit. I want to see like b- blood before it's oxidized through translucent skin. <laughs> like, Good. Good. yeah. Oh, I was just saying, this is an era of Gerard Butler I did not know about. Twink Gerard Butler mm-hmm. is a completely new idea to me. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the, the <laughs> earlier work of of Mr. Butler, um, because, you know, my dad is a lot of things, but <laughs> one of them. <laughs> Why does that belong? <laughs> one of the good things about my dad is that he is a a closet fan of like musical theater, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, and tender romance novels. Um, so when I had some passing interest in seeing a Phantom of the Opera movie 
because it was the from the director of Batman movies that, as far as I was concerned, were good. Uh, <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, well, I, I guess we could go see it. I'm fine with music of the night, and that's all. Um, and so I got to hear little baby Gerard Butler um, growling like he was being choked to death uh, in moments that I believe are supposed to be sung. Um, and I've I've been all in on on little Butler. I love Big Butler. Love Big Butler. Big lawyer. Big, big, big liar. Big Butler. Big problem. Big dilemma. Mm. And but it it sounds like the the place where we all meet Becky is that baby Gerard Butler was welcomed into the world of uh, cold, steely, blue lighting, uh, trench coats, uh, new metal, virgin record stores. Um, the Gothic sort of like post- tits. Yeah, yeah, the post-goth kind of landscape. This it's, It seems like this era of goth bullshit is kind of like where we both live a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I'm with it. I fucking love it. Off. I had such a, I had such a deep aversion to it as a kid. Like when I would see this aesthetic, it either it it both scared me and just disinterested me. Like <laughs> when I was seven, you know, <laughs> uh, when this came out. Um, so I don't know what my fascination with it is now that I'm older. But I I, I don't know if it's because I totally missed out on it. I don't even know if it's like ironic. But I just fucking <laughs> am just magnetically glued to this kind of energy (laughs) and like when i i'm not sure if um marilyn manson is on the soundtrack was he yeah he is it sounded like him for a second i thought so so definitely i had like i obviously fucking hate him um but i i remember (laughs) having like sort of like a fixation about him the way you would a tarantula where you're just like i hate (laughs) this and i am just interested in it kind of thing um, and so, unfortunately, I, you know, I wish he wasn't on it. I wish he was, I hate him. But um, yeah. just like, just like that energy is just so fucking corny that I just think it's funny. Yeah. If if we had a Dracula 2000 without Marilyn Manson or Danny Masterson, um, I would be a whole lot happier. Yeah. Dif- or from a different studio. <laughs> so, wait, my, um... Just a quick, st- my my friend who had seen this movie last night, I was like, um, I got to watch Dracula 2000 in the morning. And he was like, oh man, let me tell you. And he misremembered. Uh, and he said, let me tell you, when in the back of that plane, you see David Hyde Pierce get a, uh, get a leech on his eyeball. It's fucking so satisfying. And I was huh? like, what the <laughs> fuck? He's just, he just confused him and Danny Masterson. <laughs> the two opposite ends of the good evil sitcom actor spectrum. <laughs> Imagine though, like what if what if it had been all of these like young, sexy, like like tech heist hackers, and then one of them had just been like, We have to get to the coffin. And, and they're just like not acting like he's different. Like he just hangs out with like hot twenty somethings while techno music is playing. Could you imagine him in a fucking trench coat? With like a saw oh. off, like blasting into a room. It's not oh. too late to do reshoots <laughs> for the Matrix Four. Come on, let's get him in there. Um, oh my fuck! Christ. Welcome to Dead Horse, a podcast that is ordinarily about under-discussed movie franchises, but we're doing a little Halloween special that's just kind of a one-off curio. Um, Dracula Two Thousand. Uh, how was everyone's summer break? <laughs> <laughs> do you mean it? 
<laughs> I don't know. I remembered that we had a bit where we had to do like a funny joke and oh. d- uh, panicked and oh. deferred the responsibility. One hundred percent. Let's just say how we've been. Not so good. How about you, Peach? Bad. Thanks. Okay. Great. And summary? <laughs> I've, I've had a pretty good couple months. And doing really well. <laughs> Should we all like introduce ourselves? My name is Dixon. I. I am- hope we were. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were done. I was like, all right, let's just do a single. <laughs> I am Becky. Uh, hi, I'm PJ, and I identify as non-binary because the phrase girl dad was taken. <clears throat> so, yeah, we're talking about Dracula 2000, a Jesus movie of Christ. Becky, somewhat like you, um, I I was always as a kid, like, pretty scared of this aesthetic, but instead of, like, put off by it, I was like so tempted but had like really weirdly delicate sensibilities as a child and like now i'm i'm like a complete gore hound and i love all that shit but Mm. as a kid i was so so scared of everything like i um my relationship to the aesthetic of the movie um can be summed up by the fact that i used to download the censored versions of corn songs (laughs) um when i was a kid so that was that without was my vibe. supervision, like that was just what you wanted. Just that a self-policing child. <laughs> I heard I heard my brother play the explicit version of Slipknot's uh, "Wait and Bleed," and I was like, "That's too much for me." <laughs> <laughs> just knowing your limits, just being responsible, <laughs> putting yourself in bed by seven p.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, um, I, I was just saying. Whenever I saw this in the video store, like I, that was the sort of feeling I had of like, oh man, wouldn't it be great? But I, I know I'm not built for this. Mm-hmm. Like like horny aversion, which is actually like kind of kind of the ideal relationship that you want to have with like a vampire thing. I yeah. I don't know. I was like I was a similar kind of kid where like if I was at a sleepover and we were watching like a like a like a PG thirteen movie, I would I would be like like guys like guys I'm not this is dirty like I'm not allowed to watch this. But I did weirdly have like a very I mean. Not weirdly, because, like, look at me now, but I did have a big vampire phase. Like, I I was, like, second... I think second grade was the year that I went as Dracula for Halloween. Because I was just getting very, very into the whole Dracula mythos. I had another phase when I was, like, 12. I wrote, like, a whole screenplay where, like, a self-insert character, like, fought vampires but was bad at it. Um, (laughs) I... I've, I've... loved vampire mythology and specifically like the dracula character for so long i love seeing different interpretations of him um even when i'm annoyed by like the interpretations i even like this movie um and maybe love it even more for having like the worst dracula i have ever seen in (laughs) absolute dog shit dracula (laughs) Did, did anyone else here have like a like a, a vampire phase or like a relationship with with vampires because I've been kind of diving in on that recently and did a bunch of reading on like the original Bram Stoker novel which I haven't read since like seventh grade but um, I remember pretty specifically how do how do Not we feel about vampires so gang I think they're fun and cool I've I've never been like obsessive like I said I I love the underworld series Mm -hmm. I read the twilight books but that's pretty much the extent of my relationship with vampires I I was always a werewolf kid Mm. um 
I got uh, shown uh, American Werewolf in London when I was too small, and oh, like good. that kind of had an indelible effect on my like um, my what I what, what monsters I thought were cool. But again, coward, so I never like <clears throat> watched anything else. I just looked I looked up dog soldiers on Wikipedia, and I was like, sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> They're supposed to play in the backyard. They're not supposed to have guns. <laughs> They're dog soldiers? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I also had, like, a little werewolf phase. I feel like werewolves are, like... People might disagree with me on this. I feel like werewolves are, like, the trans monsters. Because it's like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to be getting big and hairy. Um, but but <laughs> vampires are... <laughs> they're... Let me let me specify. They are the gender dysphoria monsters, not the mm. trans monsters. Vampires mm. are the gay monsters. Um, and <laughs> in, in like the literary community, there's like this whole cottage industry of like readings of Dracula. Um, it was so it was so big, it was so popular, it was so influential um, that it's it's hard, and it's also just so rife with like. Um, fears you know what i mean whether it's people who are talking mm. about like the the women in the original dracula story like lucy and mina and the brides like what what fears do they reflect of like the the new woman post the industrial revolution you can talk about like does does dracula represent these like western english fears of like Eastern European people and Roma people as a separate ethnic class? Is there weird anti-Semitic stuff going on with Dracula? Or um, is Dracula this aristocrat who is preying on the peasants of Transylvania and he represents this kind of like top-down moneyed parasite who who preys on like poor and working people? Um, there's also just the all of like the the weird sex shit going on um bram stoker an irish guy who was i think believed by a lot of people to be gay um which we are just to be clear not endorsing on dead horse um but he not 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 even once um (laughs) there there were just like a lot of letters that he was exchanging with walt whitman that were very very tender and fruity um and very sweet um but there are I didn't know there that. I didn't know it until I went back into doing research on this stuff but like there is all of this this stuff about the concept of like I, you know I don't know a vampire is this this figure that you like surrender to um, and mm-hmm. someone who like wants to wants to feed on you um, and what does it mean if you are you know, a cisgender man and you are drawn to being bitten by one of his brides the way Jonathan is at the beginning of that book? Are you are you are you being drawn into the desire to be penetrated? There's all of this fascinating shit and um I mean maybe we'll get into the genesis of how this movie came to be and all of the very interesting ghost writers who came and went on its screenplay. Um while on the one hand, it really does seem like this was written with a lot of affection for, like, the Dracula mythology and a lot of, like, nerdy enthusiasm for the original story, <laughs> all of this, like, you are being drawn in, like, seductive quality is uh, nowhere to be found with baby Gerard Butler with his fucking Michael Bolton hair uh, bugging his eyes out at people and going like, ah! Um, with like, like wind blowing on his hair, 
Um, not, none of that is to be found with this, this tepid fucking peacoat wearing bitch, and I love him for it. Uh, this is, this Dracula is like the, the, like, first semester college roommate you forgot you were still friends with on Facebook, and you see him, like, uh, comment on, on some woman's picture, just, like, hard eyes, and you're like, oh, fuck, Jesus, I forgot. <laughs> just a misstep somewhere else in the social sphere, like, I hate witnessing you. <laughs> I've been spared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, like, also... Um, just from a movie making perspective, just sits so strangely in between aesthetics because it's like so clearly indebted to like Kevin Williamson's scream, mm. like snappy dialogue, um, like musical stings kind of thing. But also you see flashes of like what would be going on in saws like the quick cut weird um adobe after effect <laughs> montages um set to like butt rock things there's there's like a whole bunch of future and past stuff it's pulling from to make this completely unsubtle mission it's, it's bizarre <laughs> it really does feel like sort of like an hour and 49 minute like collage of a 19 year old <laughs> like it just feels so it feels so juvenile in like a very fun way uh and like in a completely unelegant but striving for elegant way like mm, it is so yeah. clumsy and <laughs> ridiculous but like draws energy from like abrahamic like sensibilities like it's very mm. interesting i don't know i i really i fucking loved watching it honestly i did i thought it was hey. really i thought it was really fun to watch um i have no real background or knowledge on like dracula mythology so i was like whatever teach me brother <laughs> <laughs> and and boy did i learn um you get fucked um i <laughs> I missed you. <laughs> I miss you too. I yeah, I don't have much to say besides like either laughing because something was so dumb <laughs> or just being like, yeah, they are hot. I get it. Like I have eyes and yeah. I figured it out. <laughs> Fucking just Dracula, the luckiest man alive, just waking up. And the first 10 people he sees are, like, the most attractive people on planet yeah. Earth. Just, like, waking up and then, holy shit, okay, Omar Epps, Jennifer Esposito, there we go, vitamin it's C, over. hello. <laughs> and Danny Masterson is there, too. <laughs> and Danny Masterson is also there. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer Esposito, what a, what a dream. In the beginning, I said, hey, she's not evil. And then hmm. she did it good. She said, "My, I tricked you. I actually am. And I thought it was fun. I was so glad when it turns out that she wasn't British. Because the one line she has talking to Johnny Lee Miller where she's faking a British accent at the beginning, I was like, uh! oh, I don't know. <laughs> hey, we should do a summary, you know? Yeah, that's right. Um, so this isn't your fucking grandma's Dracula. <laughs> This, it's this your it's your uncle's man. Dracula. <laughs> it's your, really it's your uncle's Dracula from when he was twenty two. <laughs> so this this old man and his ward employee, I guess, Johnny Lee Miller, ward. who has um 
<laughs> who has the uh, the reverse David Boreanaz, where the bottom half of his face is really wide. Uh, he they run a museum, regular house, an something together, like an crypt, antique, a, antique. Um, they sell um. <laughs> Spikes. <laughs> they, they sell spikes. <laughs> it's a lead shop. It's just a lead shop. <laughs> they have a gift shop. You can get playing cards with Dracula's face on it. It's so easy. <laughs> um, they get robbed by uh, super criminals. Um, That's holy shit. So the first time um, I really snapped to attention was when uh, they the cyber criminals break in a security guard at the um, house of old objects you can maybe look at um, stands up and says like hey don't oh no so they're gonna hack in um, Omar steps into the frame and throws a glass a ball. Glass- a glass ball smoke. of poison gas? Dust. Smoke. I don't know. And it hits a security guard in the face and he's just down. It makes such a mess. It's. <laughs> I said, is that the best way to get him out of here? <laughs> I can't believe that they could. These cyber criminals who have in their employ a hacker who gets them into this huge bank vault, explosives experts and stuff could not figure out a faster way to take down a security guard than to throw something at him underhanded like a softball. <laughs> it anyway. was like the, it was like the fucking it just reminded me of like the like the Harry Potter like little spheres of like uh t- that tell your destiny, you know what oh, I'm talking yeah. about? Oh yeah, the scrying fucking it it doesn't matter, but it doesn't belong here. <laughs> yeah, um, I think J.K. Rowling she called it like a the uterus of womanhood. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was the title of the seventh book. <laughs> Get out of this bathroom! <laughs> Sorry, Harry Potter and the bathroom he can't come into. <laughs> <laughs> they rob this <laughs> antique store, <laughs> and when you know it, Dracula's in the basement, and they steal him. Uh, they get on a plane with Dracula in the back, um, and uh, Dracula, of course, gets out. The plane crashes in the bayou of uh, or near New Orleans, and um, he just starts uh, sucking his fucking his way through the French Quarter. <laughs> Um, meanwhile, the old man who runs the house of old to buy or look at, um, is also in town and she has some of Dracula's blood because the old man who is Van Helsing has some of Dracula's blood. He's been injecting himself with, with Dracula's blood for centuries because he decided to be solely responsible since Dracula cannot be killed. He took it upon himself to make his life eternal and extended his life through Dracula's blood. Um, and so since he had Dracula's blood in him when he had a daughter, she has Dracula's DNA in her. So she's having like these fucking crazy dreams her whole entire life. And they're becoming stronger and stronger as she gets older. Um... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, whoa, 
There's a lot. <laughs> that was great, Becky, but you forgot to mention the most important character in the movie, mm, the uh, Virgin Records megastore. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently pays like fucking like late New Deal wages based on the house that Mary and Vitamin C share. This ancient mansion fucking... <laughs> I think they said it was her mom's old house. Oh, so like okay. they like like they they just spruce it up and add a few um, add a few gold beads. <laughs> it's New Orleans. It's um, New Orleans, and they're also. I mean, it still seems like a cushy gig, paid or not, because they do seem to be free to leave their job whenever they want. <laughs> she was like, "I'm stressed." By <laughs> Lucy's like, "Wait." <laughs> She's like, "I'm out of spoons. I have to walk out of my job." <laughs> And and vitamin C is just like non plus. She's like, oh, that's too bad. Well, it's a it's a good thing that we're salaried to sell Marilyn Manson CDs uh, to the occasional vampire that will come in here and and just kind of kind of leaf through early Lincoln Park records. Oh well, I, I guess that uh, that Mary's just taking off for one of her uh, one day of eight weeks sick leave that the Virgin Megastore affords. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah i feel like that's enough no less <laughs> i becky your your ability to watch some of these movies and have perfect recall of um plot mechanics yeah. that are very slippery and evasive to me and what they mean to the characters um, probably means a lot to these screenwriters. Definitively means a lot to me. <laughs> I, I, I'm just getting flashbacks from like Mummy Returns, where you were like, okay, well, uh, he, <laughs> he needs the amulet so that he can get that. He can command the army, so he's sending them back to the underworld. The amulet was like, just like keep I up. mean, that that shit was sort of something I was like raised by. This is something I had to go back and figure out because it was so fucking confusing <laughs> i was like okay so there's leeches like what's happening <laughs> he's uh, whose he, daughter is mary whose daughter is mary and then i was like okay like both <laughs> <laughs> well you got a perfect 2000 on your dracula sats as far as i'm concerned thank you so much i really can't you, wait to get into juilliard <laughs> slam in the back of my <laughs> It's a it's a good thing that you uh, figured out that the director of this movie, Patrick Lussier, uh, failed upwards from editing Wes Craven movies to directing uh, bad Dracula movies into being the president of Juilliard and listening to Dead Horse. Because <laughs> I I think I think you really wrote your own ticket here. I did, I uh, something about it. I just knew where this would end up. And you have to trust your path. There's there's so many ways to get into the house. So absolutely, Malcolm Gladwell, totally, one hundred percent. Should we? I I have just a little bit of of background on the how how this thing came to be. Um, I I am very interested in that, particularly because yes. this was marketed um, as Wes Craven's um, mm-hmm. Wes Craven presents uh, Dracula two thousand and like. I, I am very curious as to how much a hand he had in the project because this was like he was hot shit like this was post screen two yes. right yeah oh yeah no so you know Wes Craven had been having um, a moment of resurgence in the nineties like he had gone through um, his his love affair with the the seminal franchise he had created the Nightmare Before Elm Street 
um, directed a little bit of other stuff, but then comes back into having like a really zeitgeisty um, movie with Scream and then Scream 2. Um, he had signed a deal with the um, just unbelievably good people at Miramax <laughs> and Dimension. Um, and, uh, they're, they're going, they're going to hell. They're going to hell. That's what the uh, hell was made for them. Um, he was at Miramax and I think, um, I think Harvey Weinstein (coughs) had, um, (laughs) he had purchased a script that was just called Dracula 2000, um, and came to, um, a couple other screenwriters and Wes Craven himself to be like, hey, we got to make this. Uh, the script is fucking terrible, but we have to do something with it. And they were like, well, why did you buy it? And he said, because it's called Dracula 2000. Um, I, I would just like to stop and say that um, I, I hope what this proves is that the film industry is a meritocracy and the people who get to make these decisions... <laughs> Um, get to make them because they are so much smarter than us. Uh, their decision-making capability is just unparalleled. And that's why they deserve to make more than not only you or I ever will, but ultimately more than firefighters. So uh, the Weinstein Company set about um, finding a gaggle of, of screenwriters to, to come and punch this up uncredited. Um, the two that I remember off the top of my head who are kind of big names. One of them is a guy Dixon might be familiar with named Aaron Kruger, um, who he sticks around with Wes Craven for like a little while. I think he, he has a big hand in scream three. Um, he goes on to do the ring. Um, he becomes a Michael Bay guy for a while. Like, um, starting on Transformers 2, he's, like, one of the main screenwriters of the Transformers series. He's written all kinds of shit that's bad. <laughs> um, and the other guy who worked on this and had, like, a pretty big hand was a guy named Scott Derrickson, um, who was a horror screenwriter for a while, graduates up to directing when he does... Um, well, he, he directed a couple other things first, but the things we really know him for are The Exorcism of Emily Rose... Um, sinister and eventually he directs Doctor Strange because Marvel had been courting for like a a horror filmmaker for that Um, Sinister is so fucking good I love that yeah I really do like it I've heard that and and The Exorcism of Emily Rose also has like definitely has its its defenders Scott Derrickson is an interesting guy kind of in the mode of like Gary Dauberman from the Annabelle movies he is a devout Christian and the interviews that he has given where he talks about how his faith influences his love of the horror genre um, is something that is is very interesting to me. The argument yeah. that's made is that mm. there's there's no other genre that deals with the supernatural, the reality of good and evil, um, the reality of Satan, and the reality of forces that combat him. Um, I, gothic horror is a, a very friendly place for Christianity, take it from a fucking ex-Catholic. Like mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. they're they're kissing cousins. Um, but the guy <laughs> who I hate that expression. Why did I use it on a recorded medium? Um, the guy <laughs> who directed this um, is getting called up to bat because I guess Wes Craven was brought in as a producer by by the Weinstein's. I don't know how involved he was. I know he was definitely on set for enough to give like a handful of interviews for like an EPK because he's he's on one of the DVD featurettes. 
he'd found this guy patrick lucier who lucier lucier um who edited um new nightmare um Mm. the the really really meta nightmare on elm street movie which i'm a defender of absolutely Um, i am as well i i I, I knew you would come in for me on New Nightmare. New Nightmare fucking rules. Um, yeah, yeah. And he becomes Wes Craven's editor for a number of years. Um, edits the Scream movies. Um, and I, I I don't know what that conversation was where Craven was just like, hey, kid, you you got heart. You know, come come direct this this hideous movie. Um, but I we, we should say, although we are doing this as a one-off, Dracula 2000 does have two sequels that are directed by this guy. Like, Billy Woodruff style, he went down with his ship. <laughs> like, like the guy who was, like, tied to the mast of the ship that Dracula <laughs> sails from Transylvania to London on, he, he went down with his fucking ship. Um, and, and I guess he directed movies after this where he is also... The co-editor. And he's the co-editor on Dracula 2000, but he goes on to do um, White Noise 2 with <laughs> Nathan Fillion. He does My Bloody Valentine. Uh, I think he does Drive Angry. Um, a, a good a movie. Bun- really? I like Drive Angry. I f- Fact check me that he directed that, maybe, because I feel like I'm wrong. I just know that he did like a couple... 3d movies that are like very pulpy and like lowbrow mm. but like there there are a bunch of like Wes craven people on this like marco beltrami the composer who is definitively one of my fucking guys is doing some very marco beltrami stuff on this big loud noisy score um there there are all these scenes where like christopher Plummer, the elder statesman as van helsing is just walking through an ugly airport surrounded by people in dr seuss hats <laughs> and uh the music is really hyping it up with that dun da dun da dun da da bum 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 um and it's i mean it's it's a bunch of like overqualified people who are working on this stuff and a bunch of people who were just excited to be in the year 2000 um working on this like teen scare thing my to to bring it all home and to bring it into me not monologuing i think i think this script is sort of i I think it's kind of interesting i think the ways that it plays around with the dracula mythology i think the judas thing is i think it's super interesting i think you could do something with it and like some of the honey sequels there are like there are a bunch of moments in this where i feel like the screenwriter saw something different in their head from how it was directed i i actually think the two things that are holding this back the hardest are this really like flat ugly boring direction and uh the 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 least seductive dracula i think i've seen in anything outside of like maybe van helsing this guy's a this dracula is like kind of a fucking goober something (laughs) Something about it for me works just because it's such the opposite of every other um, Dracula we've seen. Like, I know, like, Bella Lugosi um, has this sort of, like, weird aristocratic, almost like James Gandolfini-ish kind of hotness where it's not like, hmm. you know, he's like the traditional, like, Western ideal, fucked up idea of what a beautiful man looks like. But he's just simply so commanding and authoritative and strange that you're just drawn to him. Mm. And yeah. this motherfucker is just 
skipping his way through the Virgin <laughs> Megastore, talking about how much he likes. Hang on, let me. Um, okay, Monster Magnet is the name of the band. Brilliant. And like, it's so. He immediately like comes onto screen, and he is magnetic, but not in the way. Oh like you were saying, PJ, that I think anyone intended for him to be. Because he's just like, he seems really happy to be there. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's a quality I would expect in a Dracula. He, I think he was so close, but he needed to close his mm. eyes like 30 more degrees. Like they were just <laughs> so open. And like, thus the image we're left with is this overzealous eager dracula who's like down to fuck and down to bite but like i because i thought he was i thought he was hot i thought he looked hot i thought even the the perfectly greased curled hair was nice and and very of the times like i needed it to be just like that but i just feel like there was this like eager like first day of school energy, That's <laughs> like back that, to like, school energy. I'm that Dracula just, now. If, yeah. if you freeze frame on any one of his scenes, um, it looks like he's thinking, "Oh, jeez." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Cute. He's like he's like both smug and like starry eyed. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. A a real just like range in performance here you have a uh, christopher christopher Plummer is asleep at the fucking wheel he is behind he is behind really? the wheel of his i i don't think he cares about this film at all and i think his <laughs> scenes with johnny lee miller who is by gum is he ever trying very hard um yeah. are extremely funny because of the imbalance of energy um and i i like johnny lee Min- miller a lot and just in general i think he has um just a, a really compelling energy and and a sweetness about him and i'm glad they let him do uh, a, a british accent as opposed to like his hackers one um sorry get, <laughs> i'm just always thinking about crash override um but <laughs> he i i think none of these people really work as scene partners does that yeah there mm. was definitely I, I I did not characterize Christopher Plummer as being like not present, but I would agree with you that there was something that wasn't working. Like there was some lack of connection that mm-hmm. allowed you to go get a cookie and me to just sort of like look at more um, pictures of like nail inspo on my phone. <laughs> like there was just something that was not very intriguing, especially in the first like 12 like pages mm-hmm. <laughs> of what's written um you know you're probably right I, it's probably not that he's like asleep at the wheel it's it's just that kind of disconnect that you're talking yeah, about like, yeah like and, and i'm not sure if it's because well i think it was like written like very like it it was not clear there wasn't like a lot of like meaningful words exchanged in the beginning it was it was like very clunky and confusing so i feel like the actors were like we're doing I can, but uh, not really finding you through this mist. <laughs> um, yeah, there was something very that it, I would say it took about fifteen to twenty minutes for like something to really wake up. Yeah, and it is when the cyber criminals step in um, that, at least for me, was when I realized what this movie was trying to do and me got too. a little more excited. Yeah, because um, when I the first fifteen minutes, I was like, "Where is the two thousand? 
Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the guys, the guy. And then you see those little glasses. So those little glasses. (laughs) And then he's unlocking the bank vault and going, accessing, decryption engaged. Password. (laughs) Did you see that where it skipped to password? (laughs) I love it. I did. I like that part. Yeah. That's that's really when stuff amped up for me. And I think once Dracula actually gets into town, um, it's it's a pretty consistent <laughs> like level of quality and engagement for me. Mm-hmm. I I do think though that like and this again isn't isn't like um me talking about the ability of any of these actors, most of whom like I like a lot or have never seen in anything else, like there's just some weird disconnect between like kind of all of the characters and I think it's kind of written that way because they have to handle such clunky exposition um in the very beginning when Christopher Plummer is like my grandfather was but a country doctor it is so wild that Bram Stoker based a character off of him (laughs) haha and Johnny Lee Miller to start that basically said hello (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was sort of not uh, it was an invited dialogue for sure (laughs) no but like once it really kind of stops giving a shit about table setting and just goes on the like long and strange ride of gerard butler wandering through various hallways i'm i'm pretty in I think what's missing for me in this film, which otherwise I'm really happy with, is Mary's allegiance to her lineage and her parent. Mm. Um, He had abandoned her from her perspective for a long time. and, And I understand like she got to read and see and like really hear about her history. Um, but it's a really big 180 that she makes, which is admirable and it makes me like her character. But when she's, okay, so so we should mention that her father, Christopher Plummer, he goes to her uh, house to find her and instead um, is brutally murdered by Dracula. And when she goes home, there's this like really fun scene where she's a lot of tension is built and she's really scared trying to see where her roommate is. Um, and then she gets these creepy calls and she's walking in with a bat and she sees that her dad has been like brutally impaled with like with like a wooden like, I don't know, broom or something. Um, and it's horrifying, but she hasn't spoken with her dad in a really long time. And when she eventually comes to be bit by Dracula and learn about her her other lineage with him, and I don't think we've actually explained the part where he's actually Judas um, <laughs> and, and has betrayed Jesus in the past for 30 gold coins, which I think, or 30, excuse me, 30 silver coins. Do you think that's like the modern day equivalent of like a Nintendo Switch? Like, do you think like that's how much he betrayed Jesus for? I just feel like it must have, it just must have been nothing. A PS5. <laughs> I, um, he betrays Jesus and then he's hanging um, in a tree on a rope he's hanging by a rope but the rope breaks so he is like uh destined to live forever in his shame he doesn't get to rest so he becomes a vampire it's so amazing what what sticks in your brain about this movie because i only have <laughs> flashes i only have like real flashes i can get reminded of the general idea but the only things i remember concretely is like stuff like when gerard butler throws mary sideways like a discus <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. I, uh, and then, so he bites Mary, and then Mary um, pretends to bite Jonathan, who she's known for about fifteen minutes, 
and um, then ends up like fighting Dracula, killing his brides and like saving the day. Um, and I, I do think it's admirable, but it was just like not, there wasn't enough bonding between her and Jonathan and there mm-hmm. wasn't enough of her like sort of like coming to her past. Like I know she reads her dad's like journal, but for me it wasn't quite enough and I just didn't get enough. I feel like she whispered so much. She was always whispering. I was yeah. like, speak up, speak up more. I mean, <laughs> you can't be that scared just because you've been in psychosis since you were alive. <laughs> I for me I think a, a big part of the reason for that that's absence is that it's a tight script it's it's an hour it 40 is. which yes which that's true. hell yeah love that um but there is a bizarre amount of focus on the vampire's henchmen and vampire's yeah. brides in the first like two thirds which is very strange given how swiftly they're dispatched like Every one of them gets killed, like, kind of without fanfare very quickly. But we've spent, like, two or three scenes building up, like, their sexuality and the threat they present present and everything. And Johnny Lee Miller just kind of, like, whoopsie doopsie, like, kills them all. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's very quick, very easy deaths. Um, also, and- who the fuck is Johnny Lee Miller? Because, like, he just seems yeah. like kind of a dude. But the second vampire show- shows up, he is, like dispatching them like uh with the fury of um, one of buffy's later boyfriends he's just the ward of an antique (laughs) owner and then he literally like is like cutting heads off with shears he's like he's like beheading people and and shooting people like it's like and he does it like with his back turned sometimes like it did not (laughs) i was like where is he getting the skill from it doesn't it doesn't make sense and I just, I didn't know enough about that character. I, his allegiance to Christopher Plummer in the beginning, for some reason, felt disingenuous. Like, I thought there was going to be some sort of betrayal. Like, mm-hmm. they set up weird energy when he was following Christopher Plummer in the airport. I was like, something bad's going to happen. But instead, mm-hmm. he, like, fights fights until his, like, dying breath for him. So it was just sort of like, I feel like this whole movie is a lot of just amazing, misguided energy. Yeah. That's a perfect way of putting it. It just doesn't I, make sense. No. I mean, you know, I found myself kind of warming up to Johnny Lee Miller. Is it is Simon the character? Yeah, I think yes. you're right. He he has a I, I found myself warming up to this almost every man hero thing that they were that they were trying to do with him. Apparently the lion uh, don't fuck with an antiques collector um, came from him. Which is why it is one of the only moments in the script that feels like it has any life. <laughs> the guy came up with it right there. Um, I yeah, the the protagonists in this are the most undercooked thing, and and that's disappointing because they are the newest thing that is being brought to the mythology. Like this is structured in this way that is supposed to be. We we should say it's fucking weird that the book Bram Stoker's Dracula and Dracula as a fictional construct exist in this universe. The the whole movie is supposed to be kind of getting new characters in place to be taking the roles of characters in the original Van Helsing or in the original Dracula. Um so there's there's a lot of energy put into um, creating a new trio of brides and creating a new Mina and a new Jonathan. Um, the weirdest shit in the world to me 
is that Bram Stoker wrote a book about Dracula, called it fictional, named the original character Abraham Van Helsing after a real guy. And like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, he goes into hiding and he's like, oh, I need to conceal my identity. I'll legally change my name to Matt Van Helsing. That'll throw them (laughs) off. But who am I to bitch? Because it apparently worked perfectly and seamlessly. Um, And, you know, like, I I really, I really like Christopher Plummer as, as Van Helsing. Like, there's, there is another movie where he would be so fucking perfect as, like, uh, the, the guy who knows more about Dracula than anyone. And you get, you get little bits of that magic here, but he is also so clearly being deployed to be, like, the one guy granting some legitimacy to all of these various Mm -hmm. MTV people, um, who are stumbling their way through through being like i can't get the fucking coffin open um he's 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 there to kind of counterbalance the presence of danny masterson i i'm sorry quick danny masterson tangent um Mm -hmm. every time i see a picture of one of the the evil masterson twins the the little fucking scions who were like raised in the church of scientology Cut to picture of Danny Masterson at a movie premiere with a sideways cap holding his jacket open to reveal his shirt that says, Psychiatrists are coming, hide your kids. I've been I've been looking for a copy of that shirt for a while, by the way. He, not not because I'm real? anti. That's look up Danny Masterson Scientology on Google Images. That'll probably be one of the first things that comes up. I just like hide your kids. I don't know anything about this lady, Justine Waddell. She seems she seems fucking overqualified. I think she is. I I think she she took this seriously and I so appreciate that. Like I was watching her give credibility to what other like would is just like other women gyrating in this one scene, which is what they were mm. asked to do and they did it well, but um I found it to be overly sentimental. And, like, that's, Mm. I don't know, you know, maybe how she was directed. I understand she's supposed to be, like, really confused because she's been having these, like, dreams and she's not sure what's real and what's not. But I wanted to see her step into her power, which she did. And I'm, I'm like, splitting hairs. But to me, she still, it still didn't seem, like, born of grit. It was, like, still in this, like, dreamy, trance-like energy, if that makes sense. Like, I didn't see... It was... Yeah, she was, like, very sleepy and, like, almost, like, everything was destined to happen rather than, like, having her own ownership or something when it came to. I deeply appreciate her performance in this because she very much cared, and it's clear. Um, But I just thought the energy was very, like, too subtle for what is... Let's just say mm. it's not a subtle movie. No, <laughs> like, <laughs> no. I mean, maybe this director told her, like, you can you can treat this like all of the classy British period pieces that it seems like you do. And Absolutely. You'll, just be, you'll be grounding your character. If you treat this like it's really serious, then it's going to elevate the movie. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we, we should say the movie ends with her walking towards the camera badass being like, I yes. know who I am. I am Mary Van Helsing cut to credits with Linkin Park. Um, Love there, it. there are sequels to this, and she is not in them. Mary Van Helsing what? is not in them. Um, Wait, not also, even her character? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, again, fact check me on it, but one of the things that I can tell you that I have looked up about Dracula 2, 
which for some reason is not called Dracula 3000. So um, fucked. I so fucking fucked up. I could not find a character in the cast list named Dracula, but I did find a character named Dracula 2. <laughs> maybe maybe it's supposed to be Dracula the second, or maybe he's just named after the title of the movie. Kind of how, like, in the movie Break Two Electric Boogaloo, there is a character whose name is Break Two. <laughs> That's not true. I just made that up. Yeah, they, they build up this this whole arc to her being um, a, a righteous, um, newly empowered vampire hunter, having slayed all of the vampires in the whole world, I'm pretty sure, by killing Dracula definitively for the first time. Um, but... But she doesn't matter enough to be in the other movies. <laughs> like, yeah, she why did we learn to, about her? To take on Dracula 3, uh, who in the movie, the full name is Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> it's, and I, I do. <laughs> Hello, my I, name is Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> that okay so i think um part of the reason that there's a, a bit of a disconnect between film and performance with with justine waddell is um is that there's no real exploration of her and dracula's relationship outside yes. of the fact that they have visions and like mm. i i know like part of what makes um and I know these movies aren't trying to do the same thing, but just part of the reason that Bram Stoker's, Stoker's Dracula 1992 is so effective, in my opinion, is because it spends so much fucking time hashing out why Dracula and Mina are like just like so closely bonded and the whole world mm -hmm. ending almost happened and maybe she's like a bit regretful that, you know, she didn't go with Dracula. She went with Keanu Reeves. Um, and, and so like, there's, there's a real weight given to their relationship and the events that surround them. And like that relationship is barely explored. And I honestly think that Dracula is not in this movie very much. No, the Virgin Megastore is, but Dracula himself, the character Dracula 2000, <laughs> Count Dracula 2000 is, I mean, maybe they thought it was like a less is more thing. Because they, they clearly believed in Gerard Butler. And and I get why. If y'all look it up on YouTube, there is a video of his audition for this. And it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of campy and ridiculous and point and laugh. But you can also look it up and be like, oh, I, I get why they saw something here. I get why the guy who graduated onto This Is Sparta was assumed to have like a lot of fucking fire in his in his throat and his eyes and his belly um but he is he's so minimal and maybe in the same amount of screen time a differently directed performance could have made you believe that he really like commands some sort of hold on people i think he did a little but it was very like that vapid two-dimensional like you're uh, you're pretty hot kind of thing like yeah. it wasn't like through through all of time i have been capable of this kind of power and it, it's like he had the power to like turn heads at virgin mobile was it virgin mobile why virgin did i Megastore. say virgin mobile same thing same thing he had the power to turn heads 
at like a record store but like not much else so like yeah. there was like something but it was like the scope of it was felt very small when like when he runs into the the newswoman um and holds out his hand and she falls under his sway it just kind of looks like he's convincing her to go on a roller coaster she's a little afraid of yeah. like it's it, there's there's no real supernatural <laughs> import given to his command of of emotions and lust and stuff he's just like kind of sexy and then oh vampire uh, rats i got bit yeah ah, I, I wish there was more time spent on mary and dracula's relationship it was like they had about i don't know five collective minutes where he shared the past and then she betrayed him a few minutes later and i don't think that was enough time mm-hmm. um we could have used more to really wonder if she was going to do it with him or not. But instead, it was like a whirlwind. Especially because I do think some really interesting things are hinted at in this movie about, like, this iteration of Dracula seems capable of, like, a twisted form of empathy and and forgiveness. Mm. Like, there's some, like, when he drops uh, Mary yeah. at the end and goes, I release you, and, like, lets her not be a vampire anymore and seems kind of happy to die... And when he's like hmm. talking to uh, a, a big uh, light up Jesus on the cross and is being like, I am doing what you never could. Like, I am enriching these people's lives by doing this. Like, that is genuinely interesting. The idea that he has some kind of empathy for humanity and thinks that what he's doing is for the best. And but also is like, you know, tortured by his betraying their salvation. Like. There was just a couple feints at that kind of thing that I mm-hmm. if if they had delved into even a little bit more and even with this script's degree of um, <laughs> with, with this script's commitment to a complete lack of subtext, I think would would have been interesting. Agreed. Yeah, I think that when you have like the lead villain look at a bible smugly smirk and say propaganda you mm. don't assume that it's going to like delve into uh, like it that it could delve into as deep as it like starts to at the tip of the iceberg you know mm. like like i feel like they missed out on that because i agree it was super interesting to have him have this personal relationship with jesus and <laughs> just like <laughs> <laughs> they His actually rival. have a personal relationship so um. always doing pranks on him in the office <laughs> remember uh, when dracula put remember when dracula put jesus's stapler in the jello <laughs> that's why he became a vampire i love uh the the top 10 compilation of of the office pranks where um dracula's really messing with dwight like <laughs> I, I actually can watch the, I, the. That's like my comfort food. Like I watch that whenever I'm just like kind of feeling sad. Like I'll just put on the, like the, the Dracula it's... Dwight bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> the the dinner party episode of Dracula is so awkward. <laughs> it's so fucking hilarious. It's so good. But it, it it is nice to see that he can have fun on the set and laugh at himself. Like yeah. when when Rain Wilson made that joke about like you know it's 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 a shame that you uh, that you crave the torture of hell because you you can't die. Um, and and he just kind of like he just kind of had a laugh and kind of like slapped him and was like I'll get I'll I'll, I'll fucking I'll get you for that later. It was just like <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice to know that they all had 
that they all had fun making it. Yeah. That's the first question I have. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, it just makes you feel like you're there. When you watch a featurette at AMC Movies and they have, like, a promotional featurette before the thing mm-hmm. uh, and someone goes, we had so much fun making it, uh, I stand up and I, I just scream. I just cheer. I take my fucking shirt off and swing it around and pull out a gun and unload a round <laughs> into the air. Just start screaming the word Dracula. And people are like, why? And I'm Did like, you know that Gerard Butler was worried that they would actually ruin The Office because he was such a huge fan of the British version? It's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All those little Dracula... When the camera, like, suddenly zooms in on Dracula, making that, like, ooh, kind of face, you know? Well, that's just his face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, huge movie. fucking <laughs> I'm like close them a little more <laughs> I, chill out buddy anyway I, I know you're excited to be at the virgin mega store looking at seven thin white women who are living in a time when having an ass is illegal you can't do that then to- it wasn't allowed. <laughs> there were there were people uh, in the New Orleans crowd scene who had asses, um, and they painstakingly painted them out with a little love from our friends at Industrial Light and Magic. That's um, why the budget was $50 million. They spent <laughs> nine on this film, and then the other 41 was for ass removal. <laughs> I, I have a question. Have either of y'all been to New Orleans? Yeah. Yes. I okay. I I went for my. It's very... a lot like how it is in this movie. That's it's, right. Yeah, that's right. it's just two tiers of like sweaty people screaming and and undulating to like heavy metal. Um, that's and right. you s- there there are fifteen buildings, <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is the Virgin Mega Store. Yeah, that's the main. That's the capital. <laughs> inexplicably going they haven't changed over their inventory you can still go in and buy a cd of rage against the machines the battle of los angeles <laughs> i don't i don't want to like i don't want to defame a place in the world on this podcast but you already know i'm about to um bourbon street is like hell on earth right <laughs> like... time to time to really stick it to new orleans a city that hasn't gone through enough <laughs> I'm Bart Simpson it's writing on the chalkboard. It's a good month to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's wrong there. They're good. <laughs> Look, I understand that they have gone through all kinds of hardships that have been especially brought on by climate change, um, but their parties are a bummer to me personally. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind of a Sophie's choice. I get it. A yeah. little bit, you know, it's kind of like on the one hand, but, but also I had a bad time there one time. Yeah. Totally. I didn't even have a bad time. I think it was just like, there, there is a certain pitch of, of tourist hedonism that, that happens on that street where like, I was, I was walking around with my, like, with my half brother who I, I don't see very often, and I, I don't think I'd seen him in about, like, six, seven years. So we, we spent our first night of being like, oh, wait, we're both adults now. We can talk to each other and relate with each other. Walking back and forth through Bourbon Street, getting, like, eventually tipsy. Um, and, and and there were just fucking fights everywhere and people puking on each other. And I, I remember just leaning into him and being like, thinking that we were going to commiserate. And I was just like, hey, so we're in hell, right? 
his his only comment was like, I don't know, man. Like there there's a chick with a hula hoop over there, and I was like, didn't consider that. No, <laughs> that's right. actually a really good point. That is a really well. That's what Dracula likes about the place. I I just there are all these shots in the movie where like for a character to get to, from A to B, the quickest place, the quickest way there is to go directly through the most crowded part of Bourbon Street through a bunch of people in hideous fucking Dr. Seuss hats going like, woo, I'm in a Miramax movie. And, and like, <laughs> like, while Marco Beltrami's music is just like honking the horns of doom. As, like, some lost actor from better movies is walking around going, like, Huh? What? And Gerard Butler, <laughs> I'm gonna be in Satterhouse Rules! <laughs> <laughs> Woo, I'm in a B-tier thriller! <laughs> we got a whole 20 million budget! Yeah, I don't... I, I don't know. I think um, the setting is actually one of the coolest things about this movie i love um our dixon and i's good friend david parker has told me all about this great george rr R. martin book called fever dream um which is about vampires in the south and and you know there's obviously true blood um there's a lot of stuff that you can do there and there are plenty of places where like the the architecture and location shooting of this movie i think lend a lot to it um but i and, and I, th- I think it also makes sense to, like, plunge Dracula into this place of, like, pure hedonism where he can be like, yeah, yeah. wow, am I, am, mm. I the, am I the most chill person here? Yeah. Um, but there's, there is also something very, like, may- maybe I'm projecting because I, I was also watching this through the, uh, like, the filter of, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a dimension thing. This is a Bob and Harvey thing where I was just, like... I don't know the the fixation on the uh, the the trashy drunk screaming college student vibe of that place felt like it was uh, I don't know happy to be there. It was a I don't a weird backdrop, but it worked. I don't know. Like yeah. I didn't have a really yeah. particular feeling about it. Besides, I wouldn't want to be there. Man, Judas Iscariot would have loved stained. <laughs> they explored that in this film. <laughs> I just know he would have had the craziest beef with Azalea Banks. <laughs> <laughs> Judas Iscariot would have gone so fucking hard to the Daredevil soundtrack, man. <laughs> he loves he loves bands with names like Fuel and uh, and and Puddle of Mud. I don't know. Checks out. Well, to he actually me. hates Puddle of Mud because when the rope broke, uh, God <laughs> let the body Shut hit the, the floor. <laughs> actually one of the only things that can kill him. <laughs> Falling down is his one weakness. <laughs> I've tried everything to kill him. Becky, what were you going to say? <laughs> this, this, this is how you die and Johnny Lee Miller gets on his hands and knees behind him and very close. <laughs> Is there is there anything to say about Nathan Fillion being here, not, not being really. allowed to look up from the ground? Really thought he was gonna get it, but he just kind of says goodbye. Movie. So Nathan Fillion plays plays a priest in this movie, and we've sort of touched on it. But this is 
a really interesting dichotomy this movie because it is so enamored of like the 2000s new metal slipknot corn ass aesthetic but also is like outright jesus is real um like god exists um and it, it has a really like very definitive view of Christianity's role in in modern America, but also is so hyped up off of these like chunky fucking guitars and white people with utila kilts and dreadlocks um, talking about um, how hard it is to have a, a regular sized dick um, and then scatting. Yeah, that's so. That's very true. It, I, I, I think it speaks to sort of the relationship PJ was talking about earlier of like a horror genre really informing religion, and I think that that really shows up here in that like there's just like they're they're tethered, one cannot exist without the other, but just like mm-hmm. just the re- the 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 gleeful hedonism um, in this movie is just really interesting if it was written by someone who doesn't believe in that. Yeah, it's yeah. That's the thing. It, it like it does serve as a like you were saying, Jack said, PJ, a, a real particular curio because I can't think of another movie that is so steeped in the aesthetic of this particular time that also has that confident a relationship with with uh, Christianity specifically, or at least a mainstream movie. Mm. Like thinking back it's, to it's, Annabelle three. Like that was like that was a movie I think very steeped in like Catholicism and good versus evil, oh, yeah. but it it was so plain as a result of that. And it's funny that this is even like this is like this really embraces de- demonic energy and like um, sex and all that as a result of that. So interesting. weren't weren't the nineties also this time when people were really fixated on like angels um, and like angel adjacent like that sounds right. Like, cool characters like what is the there's that nicholas cage movie where he's an angel there's dogma. there's a john travolta movie what's that dogma there's dogma there's um there's touched by an angel um i i even think like the the zariel got added to the justice league that sounded like a joke it's no that's not a joke zariel is literally in the justice league around this time uh i thought i thought you were telling me like a new news item um, no, <laughs> breaking news. Uh, we gotta stop talking about Dracula 2000, everyone. <laughs> I guys, I just I just saw that Kingo dies in Eternals. Um, <laughs> but like, one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot in this movie is like its aesthetics are pulling from like it's it's very derivative of like a lot of sources. There's like there's the hackers stuff. There's the you know Blade and the Matrix are invited to the party here. Um, I also just kept thinking about, like, Buffy and Angel, um, especially during some of these, like, kind of, like, blandly lit fights that are happening up on these rooftops where, like, every surface that they're landing, they're landing on looks like soft padding. Um, <laughs> but even even those shows, um, which are created by, like, um, an avowed atheist and also just really good husband and good boss, um, those shows have, like, an internal... Um, theology that is that is very fixated on like the concept of a soul mm. um, and and the idea of an afterlife with a place that is like heaven and a place that is like hell mm-hmm. um, and I I don't know like you see 
in in so much of like the goth aesthetics of the late 90s and early 2000s like i guess it is interesting to me that like crucifixes are are like a very 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 big part of that i'm i would be interested to go back and do research on like goth christianity and and how much of a thing that was in like mainstream american culture around that time um i feel like i would be i feel like it was a huge thing yeah evanescence started out as a christian band right i think that's true yeah really yeah yeah i i believe so that's that's something that like i hazily remember from like a cracked article from 2010 so you know a grain of salt me bringing this up definitively but i do think that's how they started out sort that's of a crazy. separate tangent is what i'm realizing now that is also missing from this film <laughs> it actually there are some parallels to returns <laughs> you know there's just like ancient bitch in like a like a fucking like coffin and like they're like open it and like they do and like shit goes crazy he doesn't spend enough time being like scary. He gets hot way too fast, in my opinion. I wish he I was agree. like kind of yeah. grosser for a while. But I don't really. I I'm not really feeling like the mummy <laughs> as as problematic and like as many holes as there were. I knew what the mummy's goal was the whole time. I feel like sure. Dracula is just like, "Where's Mary? Then we'll figure out what we want to do." <laughs> like there was no like larger scope i feel like of what his like ultimate objective was he was just like i gotta find mary and we will probably have sex for like like a full full weekend and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do like yeah like why would it be so bad if he turned mary into a vampire and they got together like why would that be a world-ending threat. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I get, like, vampires being around would probably, you know, be bad, but, like, it never seemed as though, like, the clock is ticking on the human race. It was Not just sort of all. like, oh, no. Really isolated cool. situation. Small scope. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe. Which isn't bad in and of itself, but, like, a lot of the... It was treated by the heroes as a situation with such gravity um, that I very much felt that disconnect you're talking about, Becky. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you bring up like like what is he what is he like coming here for? Um, and one of the parallels that they they try to draw with the original book is like he the the inciting incident of the book is this guy Jonathan Harker goes to Transylvania to complete the deal on Dracula buying a piece of property in London. Um, Jonathan gets out of there. It just barely with his own life um dracula gets on a ship in a coffin and there's like this very creepy like captain's log of every single person on the ship eventually going missing or dying um until the boat finally gets there the captain is tied to the mast people see a large dog-like creature jumping off and and it gets a lot of its tension from like figuring out what what he is so dead set on this mission to get to England to do, um, Dracula just fucking got kidnapped, woke up on the plane, realized he was going to New Orleans, and then just kind of vibed. Wait, so, so like, while I, while I do have all those things about this movie that, that I, I do, I'm genuinely interested in, and I am interested in and think are worthwhile, I don't know 
that I would tell someone to watch this movie. I like, was just no. feeling that way. As I was watching <laughs> it, I was like, this is fun. There's a lot of fun to be had in this dumb movie. I'm like so running out of steam as I speak about it and sort of like, it, as I think about it even a little bit, it loses <laughs> a lot of its charm. <laughs> so I don't know, something about it like both disinterests me puts me to sleep and awakens my my sexuality um so i don't know i don't i don't know what to do with this energy i I think i might go for a walk after this (laughs) (laughs) it's it's like it's like starbucks's food you know where like technically it it does the job and maybe you even think you're enjoying yourself in the moment and then you're sitting down an hour later and you're like, Well, I might as well have eaten nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I I really can't say that this uh awakened or, or rustled any any sexuality in me. Um I, I think it, it took my, my already perpetually hungover sexuality and said, Hey, you can you can rest this one off. I will call your boss. You don't have to go into work today. Like, <laughs> like just just take a chill pill. There's nothing to see here. Mm-hmm. Dracula um, 2000 will sign your name for the art history lecture. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Um, I'm trying to think if I would recommend it to anyone. I can't say no. Um, I know a lot of stupid people. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm... I'm sure I could I could find someone at like an like an Atlanta bar or like a comedy show and just be like, hey, you're dumber than a fucking bag of hammers, <laughs> and you would you would hump a cactus if if it told you maybe. Why don't you check out Dracula 2000? <laughs> you know what you have in common with the protagonist? You fucking suck. <laughs> Did you hate it? <laughs> it's revenge. <laughs> is that the meanest thing I've ever said on this podcast? That, I think it's so. It's just like very, it's very strong for how tepid we felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like tepid with an edge of good. Yeah. Like I think. <laughs> We really were giving it the benefit of a doubt for an yeah. hour and twenty minutes, and then, and then you're, you're like, "Oh wait, I, I would subject someone I, who I wish to murder to this." <laughs> well, let me be clear: it's not that I have ill will towards Dracula two thousand herself. Mm-hmm. Okay, my my issue is with the projected image of a person who would watch this and be like, "Wow." That was great. <laughs> that, like, that was incredible. Because there had to be, there had to be someone in the year two thousand who was like, you know, what I love is couple things. Number one, camel blues. Number two, how great the year two thousand and one is gonna be. Number three, inflatable <laughs> cartoon aliens. They're everywhere. It's the new millennium. Four, and number four, the World Trade Center. <laughs> Can't help it. Love it. <laughs> and number five, underneath the World Trade Center, but not in the basement, because it's still erect, um, is Dracula 2000, <laughs> directed by uh, my favorite director, Patrick <laughs> Lussier. That's you the know- meanest thing. <laughs> <laughs> the idea... 
the idea of anyone being like, this guy's a great director. <laughs> this guy rocks. <laughs> this guy's the best. <laughs> that... That is mean. That's a really dim view of humanity. That there's someone out there watching Dracula 2000 like, and going, it just it nailed it. Doesn't get any better than this. I want to make movies after seeing this movie. I mean, it was like everybody they in the audience it. at the first Sex Pistols show. Everyone who watched Dracula 2000 just picked up a camera right after. And, th- and that filmmaker was Albert Einstein. (laughs) (laughs) The filmmaker who saw this and realized that they wanted to uh, direct movies was Paul W.S. Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Jesus. fucking Christ. Uh, I give Uh, this movie two and a half Gerard Butler's smiling out of eight. (laughs) (laughs) I give this movie two Gerard Butler's eyes out of um, twelve. <laughs> yeah, <I was> <laughs> oh, I I'm gonna give this movie back to Gerard Butler. He can have it. I don't <laughs> need it anymore. I don't need to think about it ever again. Did I hate it? No. But as I think about it, I don't think I'm better for knowing what happened in the in the movie. This movie's Half Life was amazing. I took a quick pee break, and then when I sat down, I was like, "Man, fuck Dracula 2000." <laughs> That is exactly what happened to my body. I was watching it. I kind of like in good spirits, like some fun, like head rocking. And then I came back and I was like, what was I doing back then? I was so young and naive. Like, I'm such a, I'm, I'm an idiot. And then I turned it on the movie and I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> really? Because now I'm coming around on it. <laughs> <laughs> what? You basically converted me. You allowed me to follow my intuition. <laughs> oh, I forgot. It's by you've your got, favorite director. Sorry. You've got <laughs> defibrillator paddles, and you're just putting them wherever you want. <laughs> yeah, they, they affect my Injecting movie energy into any idea that just passes through your fucking <laughs> Did you know that if you put one of those things on your foot... That it'll make you all of a sudden really, really like the movie Warriors of Virtue, where it's a bunch of fucking kung fu kangaroos. You gotta be careful with those things. You can't use those and then go on a podcast. You'll end up like me. A cautionary tale. You'll end up having, for some reason, a really, like, you will bring up how good the score to the film You, Me, and Dupree is in, like... Your first two hours of knowing someone. Wait a second. Who did that? Do you know who did the score to you? <laughs> can you can you look something up for me? Sure. Can you see if it's Theodore Shapiro? Oh, fuck me. If it's not Theodore Shapiro, it might be Lyle Workman. And if it's not either of those, then I have it's no idea. It's Theodore Shapiro. God <laughs> yes! damn it. Yes! I am so pissed oh! off at you. I am so pissed off. <laughs> Holy shit, that movie made $130 million? It's, dire- it's directed by the two most successful directors of all time, Anthony Russo and his gay brother, Joe. 
Wait, is that his name, Joe Russo? Yeah, that's Anthony and Joe. What the fuck? What the fuck? I got it. I got to get out of here. I got unbelievable stuff. You can't just do that again. (laughs) You can't know it and then say it and then leave us with it. (laughs) Oh my god! I Jesus Christ! This is the best day of my life. (laughs) My name is Becky Van Helsing, and I will not be in the second or third episode of this podcast. (laughs) I know who my father is. Theodore Shapiro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm stopping. Alright, goodbye everybody. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this, our Dead Horse Halloween special as it were. Uh, We're hoping to crank out a couple more of these in um, Thanksgiving month and Christmas month, so keep an eye out there, and we'll start up with new weekly episodes in January. At least that's the plan for right now. Dead Horse is me, Dixon Cashwell, Becky Granger, and PJ Audenzia. Our cover art is by Max Huffman. Go out and check his book. Go out and check his book. (sighs) Go to maxhuffman.com or go up. Go out and check his book. These never... I did the music. Goodbye.